The undertaker grew doubly lethargic in the bitter weather and seemed to outdo even himself in carelessness. Never did he knock together flimsier and ungainlier caskets, or disregard more flagrantly the needs of the rusty lock on the tomb door, which he slammed open and shut with such nonchalant abandon. At last the spring thaw came, and graves were laboriously prepared for the nine silent harvests of the grim reaper which waited in the tomb. Birch, though dreading the bother of removal and internment, began his task of transference one disagreeable April morning, but ceased before noon because of a heavy rain that seemed to irritate his horse, after having laid but one mortal tenant to its permanent rest. That was Darius Peck, the nanogenarian, whose grave was not far from the tomb. Birch decided that he would begin the next day with little old Matthew Fenner, whose grave was also nearby, but actually postponed the matter for three days, not getting to work till Good Friday the 15th. Being without superstition, he did not heed the day at all though ever afterward he refused to do anything of importance on that faithful sixth day of the week. Certainly the events of that evening greatly changed George Birch. On the afternoon of Friday, April 15th, then, Birch set out for the tomb with horse and wagon to transfer the body of Matthew Fenner. That he was not perfectly sober, he subsequently admitted— though he had not then taken to the wholesale drinking by which he later tried to forget certain things. He was just dizzy and careless enough to annoy his sensitive horse, which, as he drew it viciously up at the tomb, neighed and pawed and tossed its head, much as on that former occasion when the rain had vexed it. The day was clear, but a high wind had sprung up and Birch was glad to get to the shelter as he unlocked the iron door and entered the side-hill vault. Another might not have relished the damp, odorous chamber with the eight carelessly placed coffins, but Birch in those days was insensitive, and was concerned only in getting the right coffin for the right grave. He had not forgotten the criticism aroused when Hannah Bixby's relatives, wishing to transport her body to the cemetery in the city whither they had moved, found a casket of Judge Capwell beneath her headstone. The light was dim, but Birch's sight was good, and he did not get a Sapa Sawyer's coffin by mistake, although it was very similar. He had, indeed, made that coffin for Matthew Fenner, but had cast it aside at last as too awkward and flimsy, in a fit of curious sentimentality aroused by recalling how kindly and generous the little old man had been to him during his bankruptcy five years before. He gave old Matt the very best his skill could produce, but was thrifty enough to save the rejected specimen, and to use it when Asaph Sawyer died of a malignant fever. Sawyer was not a lovable man, and many stories were told of his almost inhuman vindictiveness and tenacious memory for wrongs, real or fancied. To him, Birch had felt no compunction as assigning the carelessly made coffin which he now pushed out of the way in his quest for the Fenner casket. It was just as he had recognized old Matt's coffin that the door slammed to in the wind.
leaving him in a dusk even deeper than before. The narrow transom admitted only the feeblest of rays, and the overhead ventilation funneled virtually none at all, so that he was reduced to a profane fumbling as he made his halting way among the long boxes toward the latch. In this funeral twilight he rattled the rusty handles, pushed at the iron panels, and wondered why the massive portal had grown so suddenly recalcitrant. In this twilight, too, he began to realize the truth and to shout loudly, as if his horse outside could do more than neigh an unsympathetic reply. For the long-neglected latch was obviously broken, leaving the careless undertaker trapped in the vault, a victim of his own oversight.